0: Welcome to the Chasing Happiness Podcast, where we explore the secrets to achieving a fulfilling and joyful life. Our mission is to provide you with the tools, insights, and inspiration you need to overcome obstacles and thrive in all areas of your life. Each week, we bring you interviews with thought leaders, experts, and everyday people who have found happiness in the face of adversity. We cover a wide range of topics, from personal development and entrepreneurship to health and wellness. So whether you're looking to achieve financial freedom, Improve your relationships or enhance your
1: overall well being. You'll find the guidance you need on the Chasing Happiness podcast. Let's get to this week's episode.
0: Hey guys, Ryan DeMent from Chasing Happiness Podcast. I hope you guys are having a great day today on the podcast. We have Peter George. Peter is the author of The Captivating Public Speaker, he's also a public speaker and a coach. But we met on a platform called Podmatch, and Peter is also a contributor to Podmatch's Host Mastery and Guest Mastery Guides, TEDx Coach, host of the Public Speaking with Peter George podcast, creator of the Amped Framework, and also been a public speaker for 36 years. Sir, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. That is great. I know your background is something I'm very interested in, but also where you're at. We just briefly talked about it, Northeastern area of the world, but you're a Yankees fan, so we're going to have some talking. (laughs) We can do that. Of course. So before we get into all that, a little bit about your background, who you are, and then we'll jump into some rabbit holes.
1: You mentioned a lot of things, Ryan. I've been speaking on stage for about 36 years. I've been training other speakers for about half that, just about 18 years or so. And I love doing both as much as I love to get on stage or in a room and help others become more confident, more capable presenters and speakers uh, in that way. I also like working one-on-one or in corporate groups to help people as well, because I believe that will help them accomplish things in their lives that they otherwise not uh, been able to. And that's a great feeling. So I get a lot of, a lot of feedback from my clients that I couldn't get any other way. And I hope I provide that for them as well. The ironic thing is I grew up with a lisp and a stutter. The last thing I should ever have been doing is speaking in public.
0: I got to ask what got you into this niche space? What, what pushed you to that point?
1: I worked for out of school. I worked for a a large corporation one of the largest corporations in the world one of the better known brands and i had to present and i wasn't good at it i had spent my life avoiding speaking because of the lisp and the stutter and even though that was, those were gone by the time high school rolled around i still had that feeling of i did not want to communicate with others in an open forum yet i had to keep this job and i went for training group first and then one on one afterwards And that made a difference. And then when I went out on my own, my wife, who was my business partner, realized that every time I went out and spoke, we got a bump in revenue. And being an accountant, it didn't take her long to say, do more of that. I like that. Is it still true? And
0: maybe I have the stats backwards. People are more fearful of public speaking than they are. Is it dying or jumping off? A cliff or something. I don't remember the. I
1: don't remember the stats. People say that it's the number one fear, and obviously goes before dying. I don't believe that. If you're thirty thousand feet up in a silver tube, and it starts to nosedive to the ground, you'd much rather be on stage, for sure. the The thing is, we don't experience death every day, but we can experience the fear of getting up in front of people. And even then, I don't think we fear public speaking. We fear negative evaluation. We fear being judged, not public speaking.
0: Judged in the aspect of our position on a topic? Let's, you're going down rabbit holes. Let's go there. What's the judgment? What it, what it, where are we coming from in that mindset?
1: Being judged on our ability to present present connect with the audience not so much on our knowledge of the product some of us think we need to be the experts in the room that's not necessarily true but how we connect with other people when we're up in front of them and speaking that's what we're afraid we're going to get judged on what if i forget something what if i don't connect with them what if they don't like me and we say i me when truthfully as a speaker it's not about you It's about the audience. It's always about the audience. And
0: that's so relatable because podcasting is just that. And people get into podcasts because they want to tell their story. But if you're telling a story, it has to be about your listeners. And I would probably say that was a big struggle when I first started podcasting, was understanding where I was at with my voice, but also the type of listeners that I would want to attract in. and. Being able to effectively bring on guests like yourself that can tell a story that are going to connect with the audience is crucial. And you really have to find yourself in that whole process because ultimately when we want to have a successful podcast, unfortunately we have all these vanity numbers and all that other stuff not going to go into it. You have to be able to have a niche listener. Truly does because in the world of podcasting and I could be off on this, A typical listener is only going to listen to five to seven podcasts. So you have to get on someone's shelf. And the only way to
1: do that is to be true to your message. Exactly. And that message has to benefit them. Yeah. I look at it this way, Ryan. Have you ever been in a meeting? Let's say it's a a 60-minute meeting. And you left that meeting thinking to yourself, I will never, ever get that hour back in my life. Oh, It was a complete waste of time. Many times in my life. We've all been there and that's because whoever was speaking at that meeting was giving information they weren't concentrating on transformation when we walk out of a meeting the same way we walked in with just a little bit more knowledge that could have been emailed to us with a pdf then that's when we see it as a waste of time and that's why meetings have such a bad re- reputation as opposed to when we're transformed in some way and when we're transformed it's worth being there. And I like to joke around that it's bad if you're walking out of a meeting saying, I'll never get that hour back. It's worse if people are walking out of that meeting saying that and you were the presenter.
0: Oh, of course. (laughs) Prior to podcasting and being a small business owner, I spent 25 years in corporate America and I know that feeling all too well. The challenge is and this is maybe we're going too far, but I'm going to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole is Corporate America doesn't give us a lot of the skill sets that we need to be successful communicators and also to be relatable. And I learned that very quick in my tenure in corporate America. I ran call centers, collection agencies, any financial instrument I touched. And when I left, I had roughly 2,500 employees reporting to me. And starting out in the beginning days of that, Talk about a rough, gruff side of me. I a horrible communicator. I, I just didn't relate well to people. And I had a great boss that took me under my wings and gave me this picture frame on the back of my office that said, put brain and gear before mouth open. And it just started a transformation for me. But we don't get that out of corporate America. I've learned more as an entrepreneur in the struggles of relating to people than I did running multimillion dollar businesses.
1: Yeah, you're right. When we get a position, we get a promotion, we get a new job, whatever it is, they don't necessarily determine if you're skilled in the soft skills. And I don't believe leadership and public speaking, communication are soft skills. I believe they're power skills because without them, you will not advance as far as you possibly could otherwise. And they don't test for that. They don't look for that. They look for it after you've been hired when it doesn't work well. I'll give you an example, if you don't mind a short story. Sure. Yeah. I work with speakers, and I also work with entrepreneurs and executives. And a woman who got a new position as a vice president came to me and said, I need help, and I need help quickly. Actually, she was referred to me, but I need help quickly. She got the promotion of a lifetime, which meant she had to speak in front of the C-suite. Once a quarter. And on her first presentation to the C suite, the senior vice president who promoted her basically said to her, Get better at presenting or get a new job. She had the talent and the skill to do what she needed to do for her job, her everyday job, but he didn't realize she didn't have the skill to present well. And to him, she was an embarrassment for herself the company, and him for promoting her once she spoke in front of the C-suite. Wow. So can I ask the
0: question? How sure. much time did you have to work with this client to get her to where she needed to be so she did not lose her job?
1: <laughs> we worked pretty rapidly, actually. And was she tremendous the next meeting, a quarter later, slightly less than a quarter later? No but she was much improved. Within six months, she was where she needed to be for that time, and she only got better as time went. So much so that her president asked her to train the other people who had to speak at the same time. Oh, that's awesome. It was fantastic. Would have been better if he had asked me, but I was very proud of her, and she was proud of herself, which was more important.
0: Hey, that's a big deal. I can remember those days of getting up in front of people and being nervous. But for me, it just, it was after that period of time, it just, I didn't care. And I think that was an issue, but also a blessing. And I think that's where people really need to be is you got to be comfortable with who you are in your own skin. But like you said, you have to be relatable and giving information, not talking at people. And that translates to life. And this is another rabbit hole I'm going to go down. How do we take with what, how we communicate in a public forum and translate that to our own lives, to where we have better relationships with our loved ones, friends, family? Can we
1: do that? I believe we can. First of all, public speaking is not necessarily being in front of 25 or 500 or 1,000 people. It can be speaking over a desk or a table to one person. Okay. If you open your mouth, you're pretty much public speaking. However, when you look at life, what's public speaking about? It's always about the other person or other people, about the audience. Yes. In life, if we make it about other people, as opposed to making life about ourselves, we're probably going to have more content in our lives, be happier with our lives, and we'll help other people along the way.
0: (laughs) I got to ask a loaded question wherever we missed on that, you keep on getting me down this rabbit hole, is we just seem like it's always about ourselves. We're not taking care of the others that are in the audience. And I say audience, just life. It seems to be lost. How do we garner that back and be able to work on those aspects of our lives?
1: When you think of other people, I'll take my wife for instance. My wife and I've been married for over 32 years. We're best friends. We spend the entire weekend together every weekend And we used to have our offices side by side. So we have spent much of our 32 years joined at the hip. And with that said, I often think of the line, happy wife, happy life. Not so much that, oh, if she's not happy, I'm not, she's going to make my life miserable. She's not that type of person. However, I'm extremely happy when I see her happy. So if I can make her life happier, better then I'm going to feel better about mine. And that's the way life is when we look at other people. And believe me, I have not practiced this my whole life. I remember the corporate world when uh, the last conversation I had with my dad died when I was 30. The last conversation, he and I were sitting on the porch of my parents' home and I had gotten a promotion. That's why I went home to tell them. And he said, Remember, you've got to be good to other people. And I pretty much shrugged him off saying, I'm just concerned about me and moving up through the corporation as rapidly as I can. And that disappointed him. I could see it in his eyes. And the thing that I'll never forget, Ryan, is he was dead two days later.
0: I'm sorry. That's hard, one, to stomach, but two, that's the reality of corporate America and what it's created. I joke about it is I'm a two-time failure at entrepreneurship because corporate America didn't teach me how to be a, an effective fisherman. No, not um, at all. Um, and I'm not just talking about earning, earning money. I'm talking about a fisherman in life, like we're, all the things we're talking about. And, and I joke with my friends at times that are W2 employees. I'm like, you guys should try entrepreneurship. It will change the way you look at life and it will humble you in different ways that corporate America cannot. It really
1: does. You're dead on. I tease my friends who are salespeople and work 100% on commission, and they'll say, life's tough when it's 100% commission. I said, you should be an entrepreneur and (laughs) wake up in the negative every day. The utilities have already billed you by the time you've woken up. Things have already cost you by the time you've woken up. We start in the negative. It would be awesome to be on 100% commission.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just a totally different mindset. And when I got into entrepreneurship, the first several times when I failed, the way I approached the business was almost like I was running my large entities that I had in corporate America. And it's not, you can't have that approach. And it's the, the best way I know to describe it is I was humbled and I was stripped down of everything that I knew. And I had to rebuild myself up and those failures helped me get there. But the biggest thing that came out of it was the ability to effectively communicate better on a person-to-person level to where I could relate to that person. I felt more con- in control of my communication than I did when I was in corporate America, if that makes sense. It makes perfect then, sense. Okay. And then the other piece of it is being able to effectively lead others I don't think I was effectively leading others because when I had 2,000 plus people reporting to me, I was managing fires on a daily basis and I was in meetings back to back all day. Could not, I could not effectively manage anything. I couldn't manage myself to get out, of, get out of my office to go to the bathroom.
1: Now You think of a lot of what management is in the corporate world. It's a to-do list and you're yeah. just you're just parsing that to-do list out to other people saying, do this to so just tick off that list and get things done. And therefore, hopefully move the corporation forward or at least your department of it. And that's not leadership. That's just task list. A master.
0: So when you're working with your clients, are you working on more than just public speaking or communication? Are you going into other aspects of speaking and relating to others?
1: Yeah, it's all built in. It it's everything, and you'd mentioned that I created the AMP framework and the Yes. AMP framework stands for audience, message, presentation, and delivery. The okay. first one being the A, the audience. The first thing we talk about, and when I'm done with this podcast, I have a new client. So the very first thing we'll talk about is the audience, making it about them. And like, it might be a revelation to some people listening. It's the same with my clients. they go, I don't do that. I make it about me. Sure. And-, and If you're getting up there defensive because you're nervous, that's life. That's the way it happens. But once you turn it around and make it about the audience and you research that audience and you know what they want and need to know and how they're going to benefit from your talk, that gives people something else in their lives, whether it's the corporate life or personal life or both, which is pretty cool. Yeah. But the greatest thing, Ryan is, and I see it with every client, at one point, a bulb goes off over their head, and it's not an idea. It's this feeling of confidence. I can see it on their face. I can hear it in their voice, in their body language. They develop a height of confidence that either they didn't know they could or didn't know how to get to. And that's a pretty cool thing to see.
0: But that's also got to be very rewarding for you. Oh, it's awesome. Because you've seen the transformation when they first met you to where they're at in the end that's got to be very rewarding just i re, i'm relatable i'm relating to that in the sense of what i do in my day job as i say is we do affordable housing we build homes and neighborhoods that have been left behind that are predominantly renters and when we start building that house with the family and what they're working on with their credit and so forth to the time we hand them their keys is life-changing and. Most times I say it out openly, go check all the rest of the podcast. I cry. It's amazing to see that they've been given an opportunity and took it by the reins and decided that they were going to change their lives. And I, that's where I'm relating with you is you've got to see that transformation to where people are going from here to there. And it's just,
1: it's life-changing. People, whether they realize it or not, hand over money to be transformed. In one way or another, emotionally, skillfully, whatever it might be, they want to be transformed. When I pay money to go see the Yankees beat the Red Sox, I want to be transformed. I want to come in here wondering (laughs) what the game's going to be like and leaving satisfied that the Yankees beat them once again. I had to get that in there. I'm sorry.
0: I know, a little zing. I'm okay with that. I'm perfectly fine with that. (laughs) But how do we take that mindset and then really start focusing on the transformation? Because I'm sure you have some clients that have been a little difficult on the onset, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah. It's as simple as I call this the transformation statement. So after you open a talk, you can go into saying something like over the next 30 minutes, you are going to learn A, B, and C. So you can go do this. Then people know what they're going to learn and why they're going to learn it and how they're going to benefit from it, the transformation. Inevitably, after we talk about that and we go over it, and they actually even have to write that out, when they come to their next short presentation at our next session, they say, over the next 30 minutes, I'm going to talk about A, B, and C. Anything wrong with that? Not really. But the audience isn't there for what I'm going to talk about. They're there for what they're going to get. Now, you can say that's semantics, but it's a state of mind. If Mm -hmm. I say I'm going to talk about, I still have me in mind. If I say you're going to learn, I have you in mind. And once you continually work at that, and it's not easy. It takes my clients a little while to get that. But once they do, they go, wow, these little things make such a difference, not only to the audience, but to them so they can better serve the audience. So how much
0: is this a psychological aspect when you're working with your clients and then maybe for listeners that are working on this, what are some tips that they could actually use to make it more about the audience and not about themselves?
1: To answer the the second one, because I think that's important to your listeners, especially, is... A great tip is to use the word you. And what's fantastic about that word is it's both singular and plural, but you want to use it in the singular sense. Here's why. Think of what a lot of speakers say. They'll ask a question like, how many of you flew in to this conference? What I want to know is, did you fly into this conference? When I say how many of you, I am speaking to a group. But the more I can say, did you fly into this conference? Now I'm having a conversation with you. And if there are a thousand people in the auditorium, well, then I'm having a thousand singular conversations. I want people to walk away saying, God, he was speaking right to me. I don't know how he did it, but he was speaking right to me. So when we use that word you, as opposed of all of you or everyone, That's talking to a mass. That's talking to a group. Bring it down to one person and speak to each person that you're speaking to, whether it's one or a thousand individually.
0: Amazing how powerful you can be. It's, I didn't think of it that way because I think a little bit differently, but I love that tip because when you take it down to the granular level, and I say this somewhat with the podcast too, is. I'm just a cog in the wheel, like yourself coming on the show. I want to bring on, I want to bring value and the value comes in my guests, not me. The guest is sharing some great information and I want the guest to speak to the audience, the individual audience and those members. It took a while for me to understand that, but now that you just hit me with is even more powerful is that I think I can go even, gr- even more further down and get a more granular On that level, I think there's more I can do. Think of a
1: podcast. Let's get away from an auditorium or a conference room or anything like that. Think of a podcast. As podcasters, we often say, thank all of you for listening. The funny thing is, most people listen to a podcast by themselves. Yes. Yet we're saying, thank all of you. Being a little sarcastic here, it's kind of going, as a listener, what do you mean all of you? I'm here alone. So why not just thank you for listening to the podcast? Thank you for being here. As a, uh, but we say all of you because we have this while well, I'm talking to a lot of people. And that's why, backing up a little bit, Ryan, to answer your other question, people will say to me, it's, I can talk to one, two, maybe three people. But when it gets to 10, 25, 50 or more, I can't. I'm like, no, no one can. No one can talk to 10 people. No one can talk to three people. You can only talk to one. Effectively. So when you go out and try to talk to 25 people, of course you can't do it. It can't be done. But you can talk to each person of those 25. Very successful. And transform them and make a difference in their lives. As speakers, we're there to serve. I like that.
0: That as speakers were there to serve. I really like that. In that now you've got my mind going with podcasting and seeing what can I do to transform the podcasts to be in a better place to where we're really serving an individual instead of a mass. And and unfortunately, and I said this earlier, with all the statistics that are in podcasting and all these vanity numbers, everybody's worried about downloads and listening time and so forth. How about finding that tribe? That is that individual listener that is a staunch listener to your podcast that will continue to listen because you keep on focusing on him or her individually.
1: That will help your success a great deal. Because with all those numbers, we don't know if those numbers are accurate. I know I turn on a podcast sometimes, get distracted. And by the time I get back to it, put my headphones back on or whatever it might be, it's over. But that went down as a completely listened to, downloaded episode. I never heard it. So you want to get to make sure when you can that people know that you're speaking directly to them. They're more apt to stay in tune. What most of us concentrate on is perfection. I don't want to forget what I want to say. Mm. I want to look good. I want to do all these things. We're worried about this perfection image. But it's not about perfection. It's about connection. When we can connect with people, we don't have to use all the tricks in the books. We don't have to use all these engagement techniques. They're perfectly fine. But if we just connect with them on a human level, then, as I like to say, if someone's drowning, they don't care if you threw them the life ring with the perfect form. (laughs) They care that you threw them the life ring.
0: So how do we get out of that mode of perfection versus relating? How do we get to that relationship piece?
1: Put it all on them. Your, it being your focus. Put your focus on them. Why are they there? What do they not only need to know? That's what we focus on, right? The corporation brings me in and says, they need to know this and this. Fine. It's my job to then figure out what do they want to know? I don't want to give them just what they need to know. I can usually do that in a PDF and shoot it off by email. Read my book. Here's what you need to know. What do they want to know? And that varies from group to group. I'll put it this way, way, Ryan. Okay. Not that this is a great example. Hopefully, you're never there. Anyone's not there to do this. But let's say you had to lay off 300 people out of, say, 3,000 in your company and you say just letting you know that 10% of the workforce is going to be laid off and we just wanted to let you know that up front because there'll be some talk going on and everything we wanted you to hear it from us okay that's what they need to know 10% is going to be laid off what do they want to know at that point when it's them yeah if it's me and if it's me do I get a severance and if I get a severance What type of severance, how long, what's the package look like? If you just walked in and say, and it's a ridiculous example, but if you just walk in and say 10% of you are going to get laid off, there are many questions they want answered. When you're speaking, you have to not only give them what they need to know, but you have to give them what they want to know.
0: So when you, and we'll talk about yourself, but maybe clients. How do you get to that point? Let's say you're brought in by a corporate a company to do some type of speaking. What type of steps are you taking to be able to understand what they want to know and what they need to know? How do you work that angle or work those aspects of your gig?
1: I start with whoever hired me. If it's HR, if it's an event me- meeting planner, whoever hired me, I start with them. Then I'll ask who else I can speak to. Can I speak to the president or CEO of the company? Can I speak to the person in charge of the department or departments who will have their people at that meeting or conference? Can I speak to some of the attendees and not just the champions? I definitely want to speak to them, but I also want to speak to naysayers. The reason I want to speak to naysayers is not to convert them. I'm not going to do that. That's not going to happen. But I want to know why they're naysayers. Was there someone in there just before me, another consultant? Who came in and spoke just about themselves, gave their story, and everybody looked at it as a waste of time. Why are you negative? And it's perfectly fine to be negative. And I tell them straight out, I'm not trying to change you. Don't want to. Maybe that'll happen after my talk. But now I start to get different points of view. And I'll tell them straight out, your bosses want you to learn this. When we're talking about this subject, what do you want to learn? Now there's the need to know and the want to know. How do you want to benefit? What would, if you had your druthers, what would you walk away with? They, when my clients, I'll give you an example. A client of mine called me the other day and said, I've got this new gig. It's the largest conference I'm ever going to speak to. Here's the company. And he went on and on. He said, what do you think about this? And I said, I don't know. I don't have the answer. Your audience does. Take everything you just asked me and go ask them. But it's our knee-jerk reaction to say, what am I going to talk about? What am I going to open with? What am I going to close? Although a lot of people don't give much thought to that. And (laughs) we look at all those things and and we worry about them. Is this the right thing? Oh, my God, I've been working on this for a month. Tomorrow is the big day. I hope it's the right thing. Why go through that? You can know if it's the right thing, which you should just ask.
0: How, and this is just a crazy question, how often are you not able to talk to the individuals that are attending the actual event? Does it happen quite frequently to where you can't get enough data or information, or does it happen more frequently to where you can speak to them?
1: It's very seldom that I cannot speak to someone. Okay. And, and quite frankly, I'm at a point where if I can't, I probably won't take the gig.
0: So this is a little bit of legwork beforehand?
1: A hundred percent. Okay. Most of the presentation, it's like anything else. Most of the work is never seen. It's all the prep. There's a reason Makes. athletes practice. There's a reason yeah. the military trains, the police fire, train. So all the prep work. When you come to the game, that's just a residue of all the practicing. So rehearsing, getting long before rehearsing, getting what you need to know so you can build the foundation. You build houses, Ryan. Yes. Could you and I just go out to a lot at Walmart in the lot and build a house. No. I'm going to look at it from a different perspective. You're looking at it as a good house, a house that'll last. I'm just looking at it as could we build a house? Sure. But under the weight of that house, that asphalt's going to give away. It's going to, the house will sink on one side. The walls will crack. The windows won't open. Doors won't close. Pipes will break. All those will- things will happen. We have to build a foundation learning about your audience is the foundation if you start to develop a presentation before learning about your audience you're trying to build a house on sand and expecting it to work well and it won't
0: you're bringing back some memories of some stuff that i dealt with when i was in corporate americas in my last role I ran what they call back office operations. I worked for a Fortune twenty bank, and I pretty much had all of the entities, whether it be a student loan, credit card, car note, whatever. All the manual processes would come to my groups, and they would handle them. And then, of course, there's we had a group that would look at defects and go through that whole process every month. I had to present on a deck of my defects and my actions that I would be taking to ram ramification or sorry, revamp the way we were working a process or some type of technology that we could add. And every single month, I was always one of the few people that were prepared, but I never thought I was prepared enough because I would spend, the meeting was a standing meeting. So I knew when it was coming and I already knew my results. And I would sit there and there was two individuals that were the decision people that I worked for that I had to present this to. And it was an audience of two. So I always spoke to him and her. But the one thing I want to take back that I, I didn't do very well was I didn't bring the others that were in this table. There's probably 25 or 30 people in this room. It was at a very large conference room. I should have brought everybody in because those individuals were stakeholders in some way in my processes. But I never tailored that message to those individuals. It's always to these two people that I worked for. Right. And it's crazy that you bring that up and it just comes out of nowhere.
1: One of the things we do as speakers is we'll get in front of people, whether it's up on stage or in the front of a room at a, at a meeting, and we speak to everybody the same way. We present to everybody. Again, instead of focusing on individuals, we present to everybody. Well, Ryan, it's not a surprise to many people that people like me, I'm a marketer by training, and people like my wife, who's an accountant, look at things from different perspectives. So let's say you're in a conference and you're up on stage, and in that conference are the corporate marketers, the corporate financial people, and the corporate IT people. Okay. If you think the same message, not you, but any of us, think the same message is going to work on those three groups, you're sadly mistaken. They look at life differently. They look at a problem differently. They look at solutions differently. You have to craft your talk. And it's not really difficult to do once you start thinking about it, but so it lands with each of those types of minds. Each of that processes the way they think. So that's what you need to do. It's not just going out there, showing up and throwing up. It's crafting something that engages and works at each of those people. Now, people can say, well, that's difficult. At the very low level, it could be as easy as, and here's an example for you, finance people. Here's an example for you, IT people. Do you want to do it that way? There's better ways to do it. But that at least gets you in the ballpark for each of those ways of thinking, ways of processing information. I never thought
0: having public speaking or doing public speaking would be so complicated, but you've pretty much narrowed it down to some simple steps that we can actually go about. And the biggest complication we have is ourselves and our mindset, making it about us. Instead of making it about us, make it about the audience in the singular you. That's very powerful. I'm laughing, but it's I'm thinking about things I do on a daily basis. And I'm like, man, I got some actions I need to take and do some improvement on my communication.
1: It's a great perspective. And I'll tell you, my wife and I went out to dinner the other night, We went down to the water, down to the ocean. And before we picked the restaurant, I had a choice when I was talking to her to, to decide. I could have, had, could have said, where do you want to go? But what I said was, or where should we go? That's what we often say. Where should we go? We might go with where do you want to go? I just said, what would you enjoy the most? And And what did she pick? Oh, she picked a wonderful seafood restaurant down on the water. So the difference between that is where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? And then you get into that and then you end up not going anywhere because you can't agree or someone gets upset that the other one just doesn't answer. But where would you enjoy does not lead to, I don't know, where would you enjoy? Where would you enjoy going? I'd really enjoy this. That's just putting them forward and using that you, making it about them. Not their decision, but about them.
0: And it's less complicated too. It allows them, you know, and that individual, your wife, to make a decision. And you're like, okay, done.
1: And we don't think, primarily. Logically, we think we do. We don't. Even people like my wife, even the analytical people, even the linear thinkers, we think emotionally. We think emotionally and rationalize it logically. So when I say, where do you want to go? That's logic. What would you enjoy? That's emotion. That gets answered.
0: Wow. We can continue to go on this for hours and hours. And this is your peeling that layer of the onion back. And I think there's more to be had, but we're coming up to our time here. The one last question is the book behind you. We didn't talk about it. I want to talk about it really quickly. Can we give a little bit of an can you give a little bit of an overview on the book?
1: Yeah, the Captivating Public Speaker is just it covers everything we're talking about here and more. It talks about the AMP framework first, placing everything on the audience. And it takes you step by step on researching the audience, figuring out how you're going to serve the audience, what they're going to take away. Then it helps you create your overall talking point. Then the presentation, forming a presentation that resonates with the audience because it's based on the audience. And then how to deliver that with both your voice and your body language. And the voice and the body language make up the unconscious delivery. What are people seeing? Mm. What's going through their head? At an unconscious level, they're not even thinking about it. But are they trusting you? Are they not? Are they engaged? Are they not? Those things matter too. So it takes each aspect of communicating with other people from the stage, in front of a room, in a meeting, one-to-one, and breaks it down step-by-step. And what I love about the book, and I know I wrote it, but what came out so well... (laughs) That kind of surprised me, actually, is you can read it cover to cover and get a great comprehensive tutorial on communicating with other people, or you can open it up to a specific topic. Let's say it's using your voice Okay, and read that and get help with that today. So you can break it down any way you want. I believe it should be cover to cover because you don't know what you don't know. But I know people use it the other way. Very successful. Interesting. And it's won five I, awards, so that's cool, too. What awards did it win? One of the number of awards, most recently, I was in London for the International Business Book Awards and Black Tie Affair, the whole bit. It was two two weeks ago when we were recording this. And I'm, I was a finalist of 11. Wow. So I went, thinking it'll be fun to watch the people who win. and. I actually got runner-up. I didn't get first place, but I got runner-up, which, as they call, highly commend. So (laughs) I got runner-up in the International Business Book of the Year Award. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And that's cool, and that's about me, and it's about the book, and that's great. But that doesn't help anybody that won an award. What helps people is that it's laid out there in a way they can use it no matter what their experience level is.
0: I will put a link to your book in the show notes so people can actually take a look at it. I'm going to take a look at it. It just, after talking to you, I'm cat, um, captivated and I want to see what I can actually do to improve my communication. That's great. I appreciate that, Ryan. Not a problem. So before we end it, you know, that one last question is what is the single best place that people can get a hold of you if they want to work with you and they're in that dire need to get that communication right and be able to effectively uh, present.
1: One place for everything they need to learn about me, how I help people, whether it's individually, corporate, otherwise, the book, the podcast, petergeorgepublicspeaking.com.
0: And we'll put a link in the show notes on that too. So that is great. Sir, I thank you for your time and all the information you shared today was invaluable. And I've got some thoughts in my head that I've got to go back and take a look at it, but I'm also going to take a look at the book.
1: Ah, so obviously it was information that led to transformation and that's what we we're yes. going for. And it. it was a pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you for coming on. And let's hope we touch some individuals out there with your message because it was very moving, but also just basic mindset. I'm sorry. I'm just back to it. I'm just thinking of the things I do on a daily basis and you've got me going. Thank you, sir.
1: Thank you.